0: I want to continue on the same theme yet add to it this afternoon concerning the characteristics of spiritual maturity. The title of this message is Christ's Identity Comes with a Cost. Christ's Identity Comes with a Cost. In other words, being a Christian will cost you something. And today we're going to, by and large, speak of that cost. So we read our foundational scripture once again from the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through to 26. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through to 26. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked for the reward. Now these are the acts of faith done by Moses when he became of age. Last Sunday we spoke about foreign and false identities that enslave and oppress the believer in Christ and the need we have to receive a revelation of our new identity in Christ and refuse all other identities and cleave to the one Christ gave us when we got born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Paul also says in verse 16 of the same chapter, that we know no man after the flesh anymore, but we need to know one another after the Spirit. We are spiritual beings. So when we got born again, a new species of being came into existence that never existed before. You are not that old you. You are a new man, a new woman in Christ Jesus. So throughout the epistles that Paul wrote to the New Testament church, he emphasized the need to put off the old man and put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. Now before we embrace this new identity, we have to forsake and renounce the old identity, the old man, the corrupt man, and put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge according to the word of God after the image of the one who created him. Now, we are only able to do this as our minds are renewed with the word of God and we come into the realization and the revelation of who we truly are in Christ Jesus the word says that Moses was able to to reject and refuse that false identity like being the son of Pharaoh's daughter which was given to him by the courts of Pharaoh only as he came of age. It was when he grew up when he began to understand and realize who he really was that he began to reject and refuse those other identities that Egypt placed on him. Now, the key here is spiritual maturity, growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. A mature believer has not only the discernment to recognize, but also to resist and reject these false identities. Identities such as, you're a failure you are worthless, you are an old sinner saved by grace, you're a worm, you'll never amount to anything, you are weak, you are poor, all of those things that have nothing to do with a new creation. We need to rise up as we renew our minds and begin to reject those identities, reject those words, declaring and confessing boldly who we are in Christ Jesus. Now, notice though what follows once Moses refused this false identity being or being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The Bible says when he refused that identity he entered into affliction with the people of God rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward that comes from God. Now, and this is the the heart of my message today. Our identity in Christ comes with a cost. There is a price attached to it. Carrying the name of Christ comes with a price. The cost is outlined by our Lord Jesus in the words He spoke to those who desire to follow and come after Him. Let's read those words together. These words are foundational for every born-again believer who desires to follow Christ. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Matthew 16 verse 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I'll wait a few seconds until you find this reference. Matthew's Gospel sixteen, twenty-four and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up the cross, his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So, this is the cost that a true disciple of the Lord must embrace. We cannot follow Christ until we deny ourselves first. We say no to self and yes to Christ. We say no to selfishness and yes to the way Christ wants us to live. Paul the Apostle said the same thing, the same, although using different words. And we find his words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. We read the following, Christ died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. This is very clear. Christ died for all. When Christ went to the cross, he took you and me together with him. When he died, we died. When he rose, we rose again from spiritual death unto spiritual life as new creations. So those who have risen with Christ that's the believer should no longer live for themselves but for him that is for Christ who died for us and rose again same same meaning same principle that Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 16 now there is a measure of affliction and suffering in accepting this new identity as we deny ourselves and choose to follow Christ. Paul the Apostle understood this very well, and he taught it to the believers in his day and age. He said to the believers in Philippi, in Philippians 3, verse 10, he said, I want to know Him, that is Christ, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to his death. Please note that Paul desired to know not only the power of his resurrection, but he also wanted to share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Now, identifying with Christ, being a Christian, having the name of Christ requires that we also suffer for His sake when we are called upon to do so. Peter told us that. You know, not many people today are willing to preach this kind of suffering. But there is a measure of suffering. There is a measure of affliction that a Christian goes through simply because he is Christ's. In 1 Peter 3.14 we read, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. You see, the suffering that the Word speaks about is for righteousness' sake, is for standing up for righteousness, standing up for what you believe, standing up for Christ and His Word and His teaching without compromise. So Peter says, but even if you should suffer not for evil doing but for righteousness' sake then he says you are blessed why because the spirit of Christ rests upon you Paul said to Timothy along these lines the following and I'm going to read them to you you don't have to find them it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 10 through to 12 writing to one of his Spiritual sons, he says, Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes. And all all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Please note what Paul says. All, that is without exception, all who desire to live a godly life in this evil present world will suffer a measure of persecution. Now, If we're not suffering any form of persecution or rejection from the world at all, then I believe we need to examine ourselves whether we are truly living a godly life. Because if the Word says, all who desire to live godly lives in this evil present world will suffer persecution. So, if I am not suffering any form of rejection from the world or persecution, then rightly I need to ask myself, am I living for Christ? Amen? Am I living a godly life? Because if I am, surely some form of persecution or affliction is going to come my way. Jesus said that if they hated me, they will also hate you. If they ridiculed and persecute me, they will also persecute you. And so that's the price we pay for being Christians and carrying the name of Christ. There is suffering when your old friends no longer want to walk to you, with you, no longer want to talk to you, because you refuse to run around with them and do the things you used to do with them. Hello? There is a measure of suffering when those who do not understand your uncompromising stand on the Word of God ridicule you for your faith. There is a measure of suffering when they revile you and say all manner of evil things about you falsely simply because you are a Christian or they don't want to mix with you or they don't want to be friends with you. That's the price one has to pay. We can't have both. Amen? I, I know, I know, I've experienced what I'm sharing with you. There was a time in my Christian walk that I endured tremendous persecution. Not, not, not from the world, the, but even from the religious leaders of my denomination. And from my own members of my family starting with my own mother and father, my in-laws, because they couldn't understand my faith or my uncompromising stand on the Word of God. And people, what they don't understand, they begin to reject or refuse or persecute. But through it all, the Lord delivered me. And in fact, persecution helped me to develop a spiritual backbone, that I don't bend in front of evil. I have learned to stand strong on the Word of God. And that's how my faith developed and grew. Now, if I had not faced that kind of persecution, I wonder, would I be the same person today? I don't know. Now, this is one kind of suffering. When you are being ridiculed for righteousness' sake, Jesus said, Rejoice in that day, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, there is also suffering that can come by choosing to deny your flesh and its various passions and desires. When you say no to your flesh, you are not going to go, because you know the, the person that got born again is our spirit man. We are renewed in our spirit, but we have the same old body. It's the same old flesh and wants to continue doing the things we did before we got born again. That is why we need to renew our minds so that our minds can side in with our new spirit and subdue the flesh, put it under. Paul says, crucify it, put it to death. So, there is a measure of suffering in denying the flesh, in subduing it, in crucifying Nobody dies with a smile on his face. Paul the Apostle says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. I subdue it, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself would be a castaway. So, in, in, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 13, the word says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It's talking about spiritual death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We are called to rise up in the power of the Spirit and begin to subdue our flesh. Because it wants to go the old way. Again, the Bible says in Galatians 5.24, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Listen, this is not something God does for us, but we do. We choose to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Amen? Amen. We are the ones. We rise up. Paul says, I, who's the I he's talking about? He's the new man, the new creation. I subdue my body. I'm not going to let it do what it wants to do. My body is not my God. Jesus is. Amen? Now, Moses was faced with a choice, the Bible says. Suffer affliction with the people of God or... Enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Remember, he was the prince of Egypt. He could have had anything he wanted at his disposal. Anything he wanted. All he had to do was just ask for it or take it as a prince. But the Bible says he chose wisely because why did he choose affliction and suffering rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin? We need to meditate on that. What was his secret? What was the key that enabled him and empowered him to say no to his flesh? And yes to God, even though that yes to the Lord meant that he would endure affliction and suffering. Now, the Bible says he esteemed. In other words, he valued What did he value? The reproach and the persecutions of Christ as greater riches than anything Egypt could offer him. Wow! That's a man of faith who looks into the realm of the invisible and he sees the greater reward, the greater riches than the passing pleasures of sin in this present world. Today we are faced with the same choice. Either indulge our flesh, enjoy the passing pleasures this world has to offer us, or embrace our identity in Christ and live a life of abstinence and pursue holiness in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Don't kid yourself. We need to pursue holiness and peace with all men. And Scripture is very clear. Folks, we cannot have both. And this is what many believers don't understand today. Even though they have chosen Christ, they received Him as Lord and Savior, they continue to indulge the flesh in many ways. They are worldly, compromising in their faith. They are self-serving disobedient to the Word of God. And to these, the Lord Jesus would say, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do you not do what I say? You read that in the book of Matthew? He says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Amen? In His writings to Timothy, among other things, the Apostle Paul said the following to Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, he says, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Everyone who names the Christ, in other words, everyone who carries the name of a Christian, depart from iniquity. So embracing this new identity in Christ and carrying the name of a Christian requires us to depart from all manner of sin and iniquity. And this is the price we have to pay. We cannot have have both. Peter understood this principle. He taught it, and he wrote to the believers in the early church. He says in his letter, in 1 Peter 1.13, he writes, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, As in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And he says, if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Godly fear, for it is the fear of the Lord, the deep reverence for God, that enables one to depart from iniquity. And then he goes on to say, Knowing that you were not redeemed from your former conversation or aimless conduct, with, uh, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now let me share the secret of Moses, what empowered and enabled him to be able to choose what he chose. The secret to Moses' choices was his ability to look and see the reward that awaited him. The Bible says, if you look at it, he looked to the reward. He looked to the prize that awaited him. In other words, he was able to forsake and reject his false identity. He was able to endure the affliction and the suffering, deny the passing pleasures of sin. He was able to esteem, to see uh, something greater and far better than anything that Egypt could offer him the ability to deny self, the ability to subdue the flesh, and all of the glitter that the world has to offer us today comes from seeing the reward which comes from God. Having eyes to see what awaits us. The reward of hearing the Master's voice saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. How many of us want to hear those words from the lips of the Master? That when we see him face to face, he will welcome us with open arms and say, Well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. Well done, you good, you faithful servant. You remained faithful. You remained obedient. You obeyed my voice. You did what I called you to do. You forsook the old lifestyle and the sinful way of living, and you chose to invest your life in my kingdom and further the influence of my kingdom as an obedient servant of the Lord. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. How many of us, want? every single person who is born of the Spirit of God would love and looks forward to hearing those words from the Master's lips? That's the reward that Moses looked to. Amen? The reward of seeing your children and your grandchildren saved and blessed with the blessing of the Lord the reward of seeing the promises of God fulfilled in your life. I've always maintained this confession. If you will seek to be found in the center of the will of God, God will take care of everything in your life. Your children, your grandchildren, your finances, your protection will be taken care of because you're living in the will of God. That doesn't mean you're not going to have affliction. That doesn't mean you're not going to endure a measure of affliction and suffering because it goes with the territory. You will be afflicted. You will endure suffering. But so what? God promises that He will deliver you from every evil work, the Bible says, and He will preserve you unto His heavenly kingdom and for His heavenly kingdom. That is my confession. He didn't promise me that I would not go through trouble. He says, I will deliver you in trouble. Amen? He didn't promise us a bed of roses. He didn't say the life of faith is a cushy one, comfortable one. He said, you will endure affliction. You will endure rejection and persecution. But fear not, I've overcome the world. In the world you will have tribulation. So, don't be surprised. Don't think you're the only one with a unique problem. All over the world, your brothers and sisters are enduring the same afflictions because we are in a foreign territory. The Bible says that the God of this world is Satan. Amen? So, don't don't let it surprise you. Don't be surprised when you endure, when you are faced and confronted with these things. Christ in you is greater than all. Fear not, he says, for I will help you. I will hold your right hand saying, Fear not, for I am your God. I will deliver you. I will help you. I will save you. I mean, what a promise. Amen. The reward of seeing the work of the Lord that He has given you to do in this world, completed the reward of seeing the Lord Jesus face to face when that day comes and receiving from His very own hand the crown of glory and honor and splendor that He will give to all His faithful ones. That's the reward that Moses saw and that is the reward that we must keep our eyes on, not on the glitter and the, and, the, and the false happiness that this world offers us. It's the reward that will endure forever. For he that does the will of God, the Bible says, will endure forever. But the passing pleasures of sin endure only for a while. It's temporary. All of the above that I've mentioned to you are greater riches than the treasures this world has to offer us. Amen? Now, unless we see by faith these eternal rewards that await the obedient and faithful disciple, we are going to continue to indulge the flesh, try to live in both worlds, and live a life of compromise and mediocrity. I don't want to live a life of compromise. I don't want to be mediocre. I want to be on fire for God. I want, to, I want to pursue the will of God and the face of God all the days of my life until He takes me home. Don't you want the same? Amen. Opportunities are given to us every single day to serve God, serve Christ, and be a servant to the kingdom and to those whom God has placed in our sphere of influence. Folks, Jesus died for something far better than a, than a mediocre life, than a compromising life. He died so that we could have life, the Bible says, and even more abundantly. And so, remember this. Yes, we have a new identity. We are new creations in Christ. We are victorious in Christ. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. We are the blessed of the Lord. We have been redeemed from spiritual death. All of these blessings, all of these identities are ours. They belong to us. But remember, when you strap on that identity of being called a Christian, remember that comes a price with it. And the price is abstinence, denying the flesh, subduing the desires of the flesh. Amen? and living a godly and a holy life, pursuing the presence of God, so that you may become a witness and a testimony, so that others may see the glory and the light of God in you, and want to know the God that you serve. Amen. Praise the Lord. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message today, for this word. Thank you that you are reminding us once again that we are your children. We are the children of the living God. You are our Heavenly Father and we are your children. But there is such a responsibility that is placed upon our shoulders to live as children of God. Your word says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Father, enable us by showing us these eternal rewards that awaits us. Empower us so that we can rise up and be the kind of people that you called us to be in this evil present world. Father, give us a heart that will pursue your face, your presence. And as you have instructed us in the word, pursue holiness in the fear of God. I pray that this word will find place in our hearts to such an extent that we will begin, Father, to realize the greater riches, the riches that are spiritual, that are eternal, in Jesus' precious name. Now, as you know today, is communion. we have having communion together, So, and also it is the day that, that our ministry, that is Alpha and Omega Ministries International, has set aside for those of us who are part of the Ministries International, we have dedicated the first Sunday of every month to receive first fruits, tithes, and offerings that are given to this ministry and pray over them and over the people who give to this ministry. I want you to sit down, please, and listen to what I need to say in preparing our hearts to receive that which the Lord has placed on your heart. This is very important, what I'm going to be sharing with you. In relation to our financial giving, Father has ordained in His Word, it's written all over the Scriptures, that both his ministers, as well as his ministry on earth, is to be financed and assisted by his people who belong to him. God's kingdom is financed, God's ministry is financed by the people of God. Now, God could have chosen to do it in another way. He could have turned stones into money. But he didn't choose it that way. He gave us an opportunity to co-labor together with him and together with God to support the work of God that is going on on the earth. Now, we do this in three ways. Scripture is very clear. First fruits, tithes, and offerings. Now, I don't have time to teach on this now, but hope, I hope, that we will do a detailed teaching on this threefold pattern of giving soon on our webinar. Michael has done this study several times, so at the right time I'm going to ask him to do this teaching on all the people who are logging on through the webinar. The fellowship, the members of our local church, have all been taught along those lines. Now, let me say this. Because when it comes to money and finances, you know, these are very sensitive matters. No one is obligated to give, but those who desire to do so and walk in these principles of giving, and of course those who receive spiritual encouragement and nourishment through this ministry are given an opportunity to do so willingly and cheerfully. As someone said, like Ron said this morning, the church does not take tithes and does not take offerings. We merely receive them in the name of the Lord. God doesn't take anything from you. But He receives your free will, your, 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 your generous giving unto Him and to the work that is done here on earth. Now, I will briefly underline some important principles when it comes to giving to the Lord which are vitally important. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Our giving needs to be prepared beforehand through prayer in preparing our hearts before the Lord so that it is not done out of compulsion or obligation. And there is a scripture for that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 5 the apostle Paul said the following Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation so, he's encouraging the believers to put some prayer into the giving. Amen? And not just do it haphazardly. Number two, our giving needs to be systematic, structured, and consistent. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 says the following, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Notice what he said to them on the first day of the week. Well, some of us, in fact, most of us here in Africa, only receive our paycheck at the end of the month. I don't know, some of you in the States, every two weeks, those who work, every week, I don't know. But what he's emphasizing here. It has to be regular and consistent. Number three, our giving needs to be done with a cheerful heart and a believing attitude. Our giving needs to be done with a cheerful heart. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver and a believing attitude. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And let me say this, when our giving is done this way, the Bible says, it is like a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. And of course, it has His rewards. Notice what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. He writes to the Philippians and he says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And now notice the promise that, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The end result? For those who give and give according to the Word of God, the way God specified, He says you will have no lack in your life. You don't have to worry about lack. I will meet all of your need according to my riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And of course also in 2 Corinthians 9.8 there's another promise there. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And so the people of God, we are the people of God. We need to learn to do things God's way before we can expect, of course, the blessing of the Lord. I just wanted to share these thoughts with you because it's important that we know what we're doing and how we should do it. And of course, we receive every gift from the hand of the Lord. We pray over it and we pray for those who give. And let me mention this because I said it this morning to one of our people that I have determined before God many years ago I will not use the tithes of the people in order to finance buildings or pay mortgages. I don't believe in debt. Scripture is very clear that the tithe is set aside for those who have been set aside to serve God in the ministry. Every every dollar that goes in tithing goes for the men and the women who serve God in this ministry. Now, the offerings, of course, go to maintenance of the buildings and all the other things that we need to do in order to maintain. But the tithes, will never go into a building project. If God wants to give us, and He has given us a building that is debt-free, and we praise God for that. So, in conclusion, I want to pray for the gifts that we have received. Some of you already have done it through electronic means. I know today with modern technology, it is done with a click of a button. But I want to caution you, don't do it out of habit. Don't do it out of compulsion. Do it the way God says do it. So I want to pray over the gifts. Father, I want to thank you for every gift that was received in the hands of our ministry this month. I pray over it with, with a grateful heart, Lord. We sanctify it, we present it to you, and we ask you, Heavenly Father, to give us wisdom in order to distribute it accordingly to the, to the work of God. And we thank you for it. We pray that the seed that is sown bear much fruit to those that have given. I pray for the givers of our ministry, for the businessmen, for those that consistently and generally give in support of this ministry because they believe in what we do and they believe in the mission that we have been given from you and they believe and trust the word that is ministered throughout this ministry. I pray for them. I pray for the families, Father. I pray for the business. I pray for their employers. I pray for the places of work that you would bless them abundantly in accordance with your word. You promised that you will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. And I pray that that blessing would do a great work in the midst of them, not just in the finances, Father but in the spiritual walk with you, in the relationships, in the marriages, in the children, in the grandchildren, according to the Word of God. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. And Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alpha-omega-int.org.za.